Welcome to Stats and Stories. I'm Bob Long. When you turn on the news, you often hear stories containing numbers, the latest political poll, the unemployment rate, or statistics on economic growth. You may even find out 2013 is the International Year of Statistics. You may say, who cares? Numbers are boring. They put me to sleep. But the truth is, numbers are important, and journalists often struggle to find a way to make statistics relate to your everyday life. A great example of this is the U.S. Census. You probably recall taking part in the census, but you may not understand why census statistics are so vital. We're going to explore that topic with Dr. Tommy Wright of the U.S. Census Bureau on this edition of Stats and Stories. It's a program created by Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media, Journalism, and Film Chair Richard Campbell. They share a mutual interest in helping us understand the importance of statistics in our lives. I'll be hosting this program, but before John Baylor, Richard Campbell, and Tommy Wright join me for the show, we asked our Stats and Stories reporter, Megan Toby, to help us understand the relevance of census data from people who often rely on those statistics. Originally, the census was used to assign the right amount of taxes and representatives to each state. Today, the data gathered by the Census Bureau has come to cover much more. Dr. Suzanne Kunkel, the director of the Scripps Gerontology Center, says the census data is the basis of the majority of her work. We rely on census data to help us track changes in the size and the growth and the speed of growth of the aging populations. As a demographer, the numbers are really powerful to me and the story is so compelling. Kunkel believes census data can be used to tell a story about government systems. In terms of the public system, census data, counts of population, projections of population have everything to do with the viability of the system. According to Dr. Philip Russo, an expert in political science, sometimes data even has the power to change how these systems are run. It's become a source of benchmarking now as more and more public sector enterprises, state and local governments find themselves having to do with do more with less. Political and social systems can change based on census data, but the people who manage these systems have learned how to use the data to better those systems. Research into information from the past helps people in many fields answer questions about what is to come. Dr. Bill Even is a professor of economics. Economists do that all the time where they use historical data to generate relationships between variables and then use those relationships to forecast what would happen in the future. According to Dr. Kunkel, the scope and reliability of census data provides enough information to plan, but it does not tell us everything. To have an accurate, representative picture of our population is really the only way we can go about planning for the future. We're pretty good at predicting the numbers. What, what we do about that, what that really means for what life will be like, how we'll spend our resources, what our tax rate will be, that is completely a political process. Russo says that politicians use a variety of formulas to help forecast the wants and the needs of their constituents. Census data actually becomes a significant input into the formulas and the calculations. Politicians are certainly not the only group to use census data. With all of the questions census data can answer, Kunkel believes there's a larger message in mind. So many implications for policies, for publicly funded programs, for families, that its big takeaway is we all have a lot to learn from each other. For Stats and Stories, I'm Megan Toby. Thanks, Megan. 
We also thought, though, that it might be fun to see if educated students and staff at Miami University know what the census is all about. Let's see, the U.S. Census, it figures out the population and it, like information, demographics and stuff like they that. They poll Americans, see income, how many people are living where, stuff like that. I don't know, something about populations and who lives where and what they like to do or something like that. The U.S. Census exists in order to count people and determine certain demographics in certain areas. Uh, the uh, Census Bureau is, is charged with maintaining all kinds of both qualitative and quantitative data on the uh, population of the United States. I know that a census has to do with counting people and demographics and populations. Uh, from what I understand, it's taken every 10 years to keep updated on uh, the U.S. citizens, and that is as much as I know. Joining me today for Stats and Stories, our regular panelists, Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell. Our special guest is Dr. Tommy Wright. He's the Chief of the Statistical Research Division at the U.S. Bureau of the Census. He earned his Ph.D. in statistics from Ohio State, and he served both on the research staff of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and as a professor at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville College. He then joined the Census Bureau, where he has also served as a research fellow. John Baylor, I'm going to turn things over to you for our first question for Tommy Wright. Oh, this is this is great. And, uh, Tommy, we, we just want to say how delighted we are that you, you could join us today. It's it's a real treat to have you in the in the studio with us and to have you visiting the campus here. Um, we have a number of questions that we'd like to, to start with, but, but, but first, welcome. Hi, and thank you for having me today. I've enjoyed myself so far, and I'm looking forward to uh, this conversation and exchange. Oh, great. Great. Uh, well, as, as you heard from some of the, the comments that, that our person on the street interviews highlighted, there's there's a, a rather a broad and, and kind of cloudy, fuzzy <laughs> opinion about what, what the census might be. Yeah. I mean, would you like to, to talk a little bit about what the census is, and in particular, what is a federal statistical agency? And Well, well, first of all, let me just comment on the census. I, I was... Uh, I had the fortune to speak with some graduate students early at lunch, and I really appreciated that. And I was sharing with them that it's, it's significant to note that uh, the very foundation of our democracy, uh, if you look at the Constitution, it's actually Article 1, Section 2, uh, Clause 3. So I'm, I'm, these are very small numbers. So it's right at the very beginning that, that the Founding Fathers thought that, uh, there should, that this form of democracy was going to be based on representation. And so one key thing there is that the way this representation was going to be determined is that every 10 years we were going to do a census and try to count people and assign seats in the U.S. House of Representatives accordingly. So that's, that's a very key thought that, that, that there's some need for data uh, there at the very beginning of our democracy. So I think that that's a very central idea of that. But that, but that also leads to lots of other things that we do, but, but primarily the census of people that we do every 10 years is an important thing that we do. And, and I might add that the comments, I, I'm, I'm a bit encouraged by the comments. I think they're pretty close to what we actually do as an agency. So there is a census bureau, but we also uh, do a census of the economy every five years. So this is not this is not well understood by the general public. And we actually do uh, uh, release economic indicators and, and, and collect and prepare a lot of data that goes into the gross domestic product. We are part of the U.S. Department of Commerce. And while we collect a lot of data, data are released by uh, other agencies. And that's that's one example of it. Uh, so, so, so censuses 
give us pretty much accounts of people. So I think that, that the people were right on, but we also do lots of sample surveys that give us estimates of characteristics of those people. You're listening to Stats and Stories. We're exploring how the statistics we hear in the news impact our everyday lives. And we're talking today about the relevance of census data. I'm Bob Long. With me are our regular panelists, Miami University Journalism Director Richard Campbell, Statistics Department Chair John Baylor, and our special guest that you've just been hearing from, Dr. Tommy Wright, who's the head of the U.S. Census Bureau's Statistical Research Division. You know, one, one thing that's, that I'd be interested in, in you know, ha- having you remind us about is, is when, when was the first census taken? And just to give us a sense of just the magnitude of this task. I mean, I thought it was pretty remarkable. You made remarks earlier today just about how many people are involved in this process. Well, 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 well the first census uh, was conducted in 1790, and uh, it was uh, uh, conducted by U.S. Marshals uh, who rode around on horseback, I understand, and uh, sort of uh, counted people here and there. Uh, the most recent census that we conducted, uh, and, and I should add that the first census came away with a number of about, uh, I think, 3.9 million people. And, uh, and it's important to note that uh, even as uh, Thomas Jefferson, who sort of led that first census, handed the numbers to George Washington, he was saying, I'm sorry that this number didn't quite get to 4 million. Uh, Four million was a significant number because it was felt to be a sizable statement to the rest of the world that there are, there are, there are quite a number of people here, so don't uh, so so we're we're a serious nation. Uh, our most recent uh, decennial census uh, came away with a count of about three hundred and eight million people. So we've we've grown quite a bit. Oh, very good. And you you had mentioned in, in our earlier conversation that there was something like a million people that were hired the last census and you know that worked over certain periods of time when that was right, taken. Right, right. I think so. So the way the decennial census works uh, around 2010 is that we first mail out a questionnaire to each address, and and we believe that we we sent this questionnaire to about 130, 135 million addresses where we think people live, and we asked them to. Uh, respond to a couple of questions about people living at that address. And for for people who don't return those questionnaires, and we think maybe this is about, I believe, 47 million, maybe 50 million addresses did not return those people, we actually hired uh, near six, uh, between six and 700,000 people to actually go and follow up and knock on doors over a period of about eight to 10 weeks. Uh, so this is uh, this is a very costly uh, thing, of course, uh, the, the the non-response follow-up. But but that that's that's quite an undertaking. I think uh, one of our directors used to say it's the largest uh, peacetime undertaking uh, uh, <laughs> ever for this country. Yeah, I think when you describe it, it sounds like the the Census Bureau is the the largest temp agency in the world I for think, a certain period of time. I, I think I think that's quite right. I think that's quite right. <laughs> so so other than the you know we we know about the decennial census, and that seems like the the, the commonly understood. You know, exercise here that the census does this every ten years, right. and, and you've, you know, particularly it's involved in representation and the apportionment of representation. It is for, for us in the in the country. What what other things you, you mentioned? Some of the economic indicators. Can you talk a little bit? We we, we jokingly talked about the idea of what does the Census Bureau do the other nine years? Can you, can you talk a little bit more so, about that? So so if you think about it, uh, on on the one hand, uh, there, there's a census to count people, and on the other hand, every ten years, and there's a census to to sort of count businesses, different types of businesses. 
We, we do gather a little additional information on these uh, people and, and businesses during the censuses, but, but in terms of estimating characteristics of these people, the other nine years are actually all 10 years, we do lots of probabilities, what we call probability sample surveys. So this is where you take a small portion of the entire list and you ask uh, more detailed uh, data. You're, sometimes these can be more complex on more complex uh, issues. And uh, mainly getting at, and I'd like to say this because I, I, I think this could be a good way of thinking about data, it's these censuses and sample surveys really capture uh, who we are. Uh, they, they really tell us how many we are. Uh, they actually, these things actually tell us what we do as a nation. Uh, they, they tell us things like where we live and, and, and also uh, how we live. And, 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 and for the Census Bureau, these are, we pr primarily produce data around people in our country and also around businesses in our, in our country, if you, if you want to be very specific. I have a question as yes. the, the journalist at the table. Uh, I know that a lot of people think just generally the census tries to count everybody, and that's a superior way to do the census. But there's also sampling, and I know that you've been, you know, both things are done. And I know just in teaching my classes, and I think a lot of journalists in general would argue, well, if you count everybody, that's much more accurate than if you just take a sample, which is just a few people. Can you explain the difference, you know, f for those of us who aren't statisticians? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me just say that, that there is some wording in the Constitution which does call for an actual enumeration. I believe those are the exact words in there. And some people take that very literally. Uh, but it's, it's, it's difficult. For, and that's one thing about a census. A census is very believable. It's very credible. If you tell someone I contacted Everyone in the country, it's believable. If you if you say something like, uh, I only take a sample of 1,000 or 2,000 people and I get a good reading on the country, which, by the way, is, is a fact. You can get a good reading on some things by just taking a sample, a well-designed and selected sample uh, of good people. So th there has been a problem with the census since the very first one of undercounting uh, certain groups. Uh, we're unable to... Uh, get the cooperation of, of everyone and, 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 and reaching everyone and getting them to respond in a timely manner is very difficult. We do move about a lot as a nation. And so uh, since about uh, 1960, 1970, there, there, there is a thought that uh, perhaps the use of sampling could help um, improve things a bit. And, uh, and, 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 and there's a lot of theoretical work on this that, that's been done. Uh, but but um, but uh, and, and the Census Bureau actually around the 2000 had had lots of plans along these these lines. Uh, but uh, but uh, we 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 did we did not execute the plan exactly because of timing. So when you one thing is that the methodology that we have calls for going to, as I mentioned earlier, about for, for, for 2010, it would have meant going to about 130 million addresses, and then we come back and do a, a sample survey. And, and for this time, we actually did a sample survey of about 170,000 addresses. And we are able to compare these two lists and, and look at who was captured in the census and who was captured in the sample survey. And we're able to come up with some estimates of how many people we think we might have missed and how many people we think we might have uh, uh, counted more than one, one time. But uh, so so there is there is a theoretical aspect that sampling can can in a complementary way improve the counting, 
but uh, but but actually executing it is, is quite a big big challenge. Thank you. This is Stats and Stories, a show that we hope can help you make sense out of many statistics that you hear about very frequently. I'm Bob Long, the moderator, our regular panelist today, Miami University Journalism Director Richard Campbell, Statistics Department Chair John Baylor, and we're exploring the importance today of census data in our lives. Our special guest is Dr. Tommy Wright of the U.S. Census Bureau. You know, we also thought it would be a little bit of fun to find out, since we asked people what the census was, what do they think the Census Bureau does for the other nine years in between each census? They spy on us. Uh, evaluate the data, figure out how the, what they're going to do next year, how, how to improve their collections, stuff along that kind of way. They don't do anything. Guestimate. Sits on its butt. <laughs> I don't know. They count the, all the ridiculous amount of information they got from the 10th year. They analyze it and come up with, I don't know, do some kind of research with the numbers? Uh, just maybe analyze and the information that they have now because they don't need to update anything until the next 10 years. <laughs> well, I think things kind of went downhill from the first question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Richard. Uh, well, this, this sort of gets at, I think, the, the, you know, the job of educators and making sure, you know, we're we're representing what it is that's sort of important in our in our culture in terms of numbers and data. And this also reminds me, and this is sort of a more general question for Tommy about uh, when you're reading newspaper articles that are representing data and numbers, you know do you do you have some things that you you see journalists get wrong a lot or things that they're not explaining well, things that they they do, there's a pattern. I mean, my job here is to help our journalism students also, you know, speak on behalf of journalists and how how hard this can sometimes be. I, I think journalists are doing a very good job. I, that that's my own perception. In fact, uh, journalists and I will give credit on one specific example. Uh, sometimes, particularly in estimating proportions, you'll hear journalists say plus or minus three percent, and so. This is a wonderful thing because statisticians come up with estimates, and but statisticians always say, in addition to that estimate, we are morally obligated to say how good those those things are, and and journalists have been doing a good job, I believe, in terms of reporting that uh, plus or minus three percent margin of error, which is a big thing in statistics. Uh, regarding uh, what we do the other uh, uh, ten years, I, I was just thinking of a, of a list here of things, uh, anticipating perhaps this question, so I did my homework. Actually, the, these uh, data from uh, the Census Bureau, and by the way, I should add that the Census Bureau is just one statistical agency. There, there are many others for, for various other uh, uh, missions that, of collecting data, some on around health, some around education, some around energy use and various things. But in terms of the census, some of our data are used to actually distribute and reallocate back to the population hundreds of billions of dollars each year for various uh, kinds of uh, programs and projects. We Data are used to plan economic development and access to need for schools, for hospitals, uh, for uh, job training, uh, to help plan uh, communities, uh, to predict future needs. Uh, the actual roads that we travel on every day is determined by people looking and city planners looking at data, uh, public facilities, uh, analyzing social and economic uh, trends, and just a number of things that we would not believe are, are being affected. I, I have observed in my life that people like to make decisions, and I am, I'm, I'm impressed that politicians like to point to data. Uh, and, and data, we believe that the data that we collect are objective. 
And we, we, we actually do see use of, of data in decision-making, uh, not, not just federally, but at uh, state and, and local, uh, uh, local levels. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of impressed with what I see in the media in terms of reporting something, in particular that one particular example I gave about the plus or minus 3%. Very good, and I'm comforted that I didn't hear spying on your list. There. Uh, and that, and that's one thing. There, there's an aspect of getting consent. That so actually there is this idea when we do the census, we actually do contact people directly and ask those questions directly. And when we're doing the uh, sample surveys as well, we are contacting people directly and asking for uh, those things as well. But we're thank you. Yeah. You know what? What led you to work at the census? What What gives you pleasure when you go? What's What part of your job is exciting to you? Well, uh, since 1980, I was I actually I won't go into a lot of detail, but I was invited to discuss some papers at an undercount conference uh, at the Census Bureau, and it was around the topic of uh, not being able to count well. And uh, I'm just fascinated at the problem as I mentioned earlier, of, of uh, something so fundamental as counting in mathematics, uh, why is it so difficult and, uh, and challenging? And, and there are many aspects that, that, that come into this. So I'm fascinated by that particular problem of uh, what is it about uh, counting that makes it so difficult? And can we, can we educate, can we communicate well to the public about its need to actually uh, participate and cooperate in terms of sharing information because information helps us live better and, 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 and getting people to see that aspect is, is a challenge. So I, I, I like that challenge. Well, one of the things we've, we've talked a lot about is the importance of, of evidence-based decision-making. And that's, that was a major, a major emphasis and thrust of the, the program and, and why we wanted to, to, to be doing this and developing this. If, if there was one, one thing you would, would want people to know about the census that, that you don't think that they really have a good handle on, you know, and what might that be? By the way, you don't have to be constrained to just one. You know? <laughs> I, well, I, I, think, I think it's that, is that the importance of having information and, and that in, in our democracy, that information comes from people, I think. And it's timely when we get it from people. While we do, while we do consider other alternatives of, of, of data, I think I like the idea of going to people with sample surveys, going to people with censuses, and letting them know out front what's being asked, and 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 how, and, and and we can do a better job of communicating uh, what we what the uses are, and so that that's that's a task for us to work on as well. We're talking about the U.S. Census today with Dr. Tommy Wright of the U.S. Census Bureau. Our regular panelists are Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Journalism Director Richard Campbell, and we have time for. Uh, a little bit more discussion here to, to wrap things up. I, okay, very good. I think that one thing that, that you said I think is really a critical idea, and it's the idea of probability sampling. And that's something that's, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we see these studies that are samples of convenience, this, the samples that, that a radio station might take or that a, a local newspaper might take. Can, can you expand a little bit on, on the idea of why, what is a probability sample and, and why does that, is that generally a more reliable way of getting opinion than, than these voluntary response things that we encounter when you when when you do a census uh, there, there is this feeling that everyone uh, every unit has been contacted and so therefore it must be the truth when you take just a portion of this and say that this represents the entire universe or entire population uh, that's that that's 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 a bit more challenging and it is a tool called probability which allows us to do this uh, 
If, if one selects one sample, you might get one result of 20 people. If you had observed 20 different people, you might get a different result. So this idea of variability comes into the, into the play when you talk about taking a sample. And so probability allows us to say just how good the data are that, that comes from the sample. And also, it allows us to make an inference about the, the entire uh, universe. And, 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 and it's... And so sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a feeling that, uh, and I like to point this out, is that there's a feeling that how can 1,000 or 2,000 people actually represent uh, 308 million people, for example? So it's, it's not so much the size of the sample that, and the size of the universe that it's aiming to, to reach. For example, I'll give an example. Suppose you, suppose you wanted to estimate the, the height of people in the country, and suppose everyone happened to be the same height. You, you want to estimate the average height, and if everyone's the same height, then you would probably need a sample of size. You would probably say a sample size one is good enough. So, so, so already your response to that tells you that it's variability, and so, so statisticians have an ability to, to do things, have methods that allow us to try to decrease this variability and so that the, the, the information that we do get from samples can have little variability and come pretty close to estimating these true characteristics of the population that, that we want to do. Richard Campbell, time for one final question from you today. Well, I, I think my last question would be on following up with John. We get a lot of students in our classes that uh, they do surveys. They say they're surveys, you know, that they go out. We see this sometimes in, in newspapers where – or you'll see it on cable TV stations where students will, will – or cable TV hosts will say, we're going to take a sample of our listeners. Yes. And – Rather than tell us why that's not statistically valid, they put it out there as something that, okay, 90% of our listeners believe this. Can you talk a little bit about what's wrong with that? Well, it's uh, well. You want you you want this sample to I can use the word represent. You you want this sample to to really reflect what's in the real population. And so, for example, sometimes if you get volunteers, the issue that's being discussed may, may only provoke volunteers to respond. And so you're not, getting a, you, you, you're not getting a true representation of what might exactly, actually exist in the population. So it could just be the listeners for that radio station. They, they might be a certain type of jazz music. I, I don't know what the persuasion might be. So it may not actually represent well uh, the, the, the true population that, that you're aiming for. And so that, that would be the concern. Uh, there that and and so statisticians have this idea of randomly selecting, so and 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 so I'll go back to this idea of the decennial census. So it's it's so important because once we have that long list of about 130 million addresses, we have tools from probability which allow us to reach or to touch that list and come away with a sample, and we know how that sample is related to that. 130 uh, million addresses, and so we are able to make inferences there. And so that's that. That's the preferred way of doing it. I think if you stray from that, it's it's you're less sure about what you get from the sample. Tommy Wright of the U.S. Census Bureau, thanks for your insights on stats and stories. Also, our thanks today to our panelists, Miami Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell. We also want to let you know that your email comments are welcomed at statsandstories at miamioh.edu. Be sure to visit our Stats and Stories website for more background information about today's program and guest. 
and to listen to previous programs in our archive. We hope you've enjoyed our monthly program, giving you the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. <laughs>